Many travelers and crews often question what agricultural items are allowed into the United States and what's prohibited. Of course, you can find this information online at the cbp.gov website, but I figure I make the subject a little bit more personable. Today, I get to talk with Sharon Binlas. She is a CBP advisor with over 15 years of experience in various capacities within the Customs Border and Protection. She shares a ton of information that is very helpful, not only for travelers, but also for crew members. And I get to ask her so many questions that crew members have also asked me, and I figure this is the best way to get you the right answer. So enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Fit Aviators Club podcast, where aviation, fitness, and mindset meet to improve the balance of your health and quality of life in aviation. This is your host, Fernando Contreras, and let's get to it. Sharon, thank you so much for joining us today. I've been so eager and looking forward to this episode finally because us as crew members, we have a ton, a ton of questions regarding what we can bring into the United States. So thank you so much for being here. No problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I'd love to know what has been your journey within the Customs Border and Protection and the actual purpose of the Customs Border and Protection Agricultural Department. Well, let's first start off with the purpose of the agriculture portion of Customs and Border Protection. Our goal as agriculture is to be that, that face in the front line that's there to protect American agriculture. Our job is to look and um, regulate agriculture items, fruits, vegetables, meats, plants, flowers, seeds, things of that nature, and make sure that they qualify to come into the country. Make sure that they don't pose any type of pest risk or disease risk to our local agriculture. Um, in regards to my journey, I've been with CBP for over 15 years now. Um, initially, my interest with CBP came from doing an internship working with USDA in college. Um, as we all know, after 9-11, CBP was created, and I was looking for opportunity to, one, mimic what I was doing in my internships because I enjoyed it, two, to be able to have a career or a job where I felt like I was making a difference. And so this was the perfect opportunity in the environment. So I applied and I was luckily accepted. Um, with CBP, I started off as a Ag Specialist Inspector where I was basically that person you met when you came into the port of entries that asked all the questions and went through all your stuff. Um, I did that for a little while. Um, after that, I became for about nine, almost 10 years, I was a can agriculture canine handler. So now I was the person running with the little puppy who now was all in all of your business and <laughs> looking for your, for your lunch. It's adorable. Um, <laughs> yes. After that, I actually transferred to Toronto to a preclearance port. Um, I didn't know if you know the Customs has preclearance ports, which are outside of the mainland U.S and basically allows for passengers to do all their customs needs before entering into the U.S. Um, from there, I got a promotional opportunity to move to San Francisco and become the supervisor for that pro in that program, which was a great experience, you know, to be able to put more into the program and more dedication into it. Um, after that, I became where I am now, which is the regional Agriculture Canine Advisor for CBP, and so basically I help now 
um, with the teams in the field and the, the offices in the field to help for any needs they have or questions they need or guidance when it comes to the canine program. Wow. What a journey. That is so cool. Uh, you know, how long was your training uh, when you first for, for first started and then also like maybe during your canine uh, time that you were w- with, with the dog? How long was the training for that? Um, our first training was a couple months, which was away from our ports in the, the D.C. area um, where we were trained by USDA learning how to regulate and identify certain things and even our interviewing techniques and things of that nature, safety concerns. Um, then once we came out of that program, you know, we spent a little while at the ports a couple months just doing hands-on training and, and getting our feet wet. Um, for the canine situation, um, my first dog, when I first went, it was about eight to 10 weeks um, of training where basically we went in and we learned how to do everything that we need to do for the dogs, how to teach the dogs how to search, how to take care of them, any health needs, concerns, basically all the tools we needed to be successful in the field. Um, Once that's done, then you do move to the port. Um, Do a little hands-on training for your specific port and um, go from there. And then for the dogs, the training is always actually, and even for the agriculture specialists, our training is always continuous. That's one thing about this program is uh, if you like to learn, you're forever learning, whether it comes to food items, pest diseases, status, or even just the culture aspect, you know, as agriculture specialists and working with CBP and being that face at the front line, you know, we come up, we come in contact with people from all over the places, speaking different languages, different cultures, things like that. And so we have to continuously educate ourselves to be able to be successful in those fields. Yeah. I mean, if you're not continuously learning, you're, you, you, you stop growing at some point, right? I love any anything that you're continuously learning and continuously just you know, being more broad in knowledge, I think it's, it's always awesome, but just like how it's always a constant learning environment for you, it is also for pilots as well. We're, you know, we get tested every year on things and it's uh, new things come out and regulations change and we have to keep up with all that stuff too. Sometimes things change based on, you know, like the, the, the network communications industry decided to put 5G antennas and then we had to like amend all our procedures. So it's always constantly something that we have to keep on top of, but I totally understand where you're coming from, but that's really cool. When you, when you were in the training school with the, with the dog, I'm sure you, you created some sort of bond because that's a dog that you take with you right out on the, out on the field. That is correct. That is So when you go to school, one of the big things um, and one of the things that USDA is great at is pairing the dogs with the people. Um, My coworkers used to laugh because they were like, my dogs were me. Absolutely personality. They were me. That's cool. Um, But that bond is important because you have to have that level of trust between you and your canine partner to be able to accomplish the mission. You know, your canine partner also has to trust that you'll keep them safe, you know. Dealing with the canines, one of the things about the dogs is that they're looking to you to be there for you, but they're also looking to make you happy. And they know that the success of what they do is based upon your happiness. So you do get that bond and, you know, you end up spending more time with them in your work day than you do. Some people do with their own families. You know, it's it's them and you. Yeah. And, it you know, I guess at some point, what's the the span of time in where a dog's, I guess, uh, 
abilities to be able to sniff and and just have this high sensitivity to these to these uh, agricultural things. Is there a is there a time span in which it starts to decrease after that, and do they have to retire? I guess at some point. Well, I mean, there's always a daily work time span. Um, you know, as a handler, you have to be cognizant of when the dog gets tired because you know they'll they'll not want to stop. Um, over the time of their career, usually about eight years old or so, we look at retiring the dogs. Um, and it's not always a decline. You know, they do retire earlier if there are medical or health, you know, medical issues, um, things of that nature. But at the same time, um, we try to get them to that eight-year mark so that afterwards they can have time to be, you know, to be a pet and rest and relax just like we do um, with our jobs and our professions. Um, and then you do see some dogs after a while that it becomes a lot. They do decline and, you know, it's time for them to retire. Yeah. Do you get to take them with you? Do you get to keep them when you retire? Yeah. When a dog is ready for retirement, um, the handler gets first pick um, if they want to. And it is a, it's a little bit complicated. It's a little hard um, to step away and say, no, I can't keep it. But, you know, people have situations and living arrangements that actually, you know, don't condone them having a dog at that time. Um, myself, personally, I've had two canines, and I've taken them both home with me. Um, I just couldn't see myself partying with them. Oh, that's amazing. They were like my, my partner. They were my children. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's really cool. So now you have two dogs at home, and that's, that's awesome. Do you uh, miss working with them at the field? I do. Um, Working with the canines was kind of the highlight of my career. First of all, it was a situation where it was one of the only jobs I know of where someone is always happy to see you show up and sad to see you go. Oh, yeah. You know, and it was, you know, I, I will admit that after a while, my parents were like, uh, is this really a real job? You're going to work to play with the dog all day? <laughs> you know, because our job literally with these dogs is to play hide and seek. You know, yeah. the people hide the stuff, whether purposely or not purposely. <laughs> And it's the dog's job to find it. So it was just like a big play, a big game every day. Oh, my God. And it was always different. The day was never the same. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's really interesting. What a journey you've had. Um, So I want to switch gears into into the technicality stuff of of the CBP. in order for the CBP to be continuously learning and, and, and all the advisors and officers, you guys have to work closely, I guess, with other uh, entities such as like the CDC and the and probably the World Health Organization to with what's happening around in the U.S. and around the world, too. Yes. Um, part of CBP is we work and part of just the government in, in general. We work with multiple agencies to help resource information. Um, also, because we are the face at the border and a lot of the entities don't have people in that capacity or the staffing able to be there. We also act as a liaison to say, hey, we saw this. What do you think of that? And work, you know, in collaboration with them. Like I said, we also work a lot with USDA to provide us with a lot of information on identification of pests and insects and then the different trends or things that we need to worry about. So it's a constant, it's a constant team effort. Yeah, no, it's, I, I I totally understand. My sister uh, used to work for a health department here in one of the states, and she is an epidemiologist. So you know, understanding on the spread of things and how things can spread so quickly, it, being trained for that to be able to pick up like things, especially in agriculture. You know, she deals with more diseases that are spreadable and stuff like that. 
But it's such an important thing because to mitigate that, to be able to control some sort of spread, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of time and, and a lot of things have to go in place. So I'm sure the training that you guys have to go through is is pretty pretty intense, pretty rigorous, I bet. Yeah. So it, are all CBP officers cross-trained in all of these or do they have separate roles? Like uh, when, when I go through a crew line, the C, that CBP officer may not be the agricultural officer that I'm going to see later, right? Absolutely. The person you meet when you go through the crew line is usually the CBP officer um, who is trained in dealing with immigration and customs regulations. Um, the agriculture specialist is basically what it is. It's a specialty field. Um, the officers do have training and brought aware of a lot of the, the issues or concerns when it comes to agriculture. But ultimately, the agriculture specialist is trained to make that final decision. Oh, wow. Okay. Gotcha. So, you know, with with uh, the agriculture specialists, we obviously have a due diligence to have to declare our food, whether as we're crew or passengers. Is there any difference between declaring as a crew member or declaring as a passenger? Um, so declaration is declaration. There's no difference between a crew member declaring the process. Um, some of the forms that sometimes if you are still using our at a port that's using the paper forms do look a little bit different. Um, but it's the same as the passenger. We need you to tell us what you have so that we can make educated um, decisions on if those items are capable of coming into the U.S. or not. Um, the one difference that you do see is that if there is um, the lack of declaration, the penalties for that are different from passenger and crew. Um, the crew members, it's a little bit stiffer at $500, starting around $500 for a non-declaration. And that could be as simple as you didn't declare the apple you had, you know, and that's, you know, can you imagine a $500 apple? It's the most expensive apple you've probably ever bought. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, that has a little bit to do with the amount of time that, you know, crew is coming in and out. So, yeah. So other than that, the declaration's not, the process between traveling passenger and flight crew is not that It's, it's the same. Totally. And so since we're on the topic of declaration now, there's, you, you, we have our due diligence to have to declare whatever we're bringing in, right? No matter what. Uh, we have to declare, but uh, let's say we, you know, we declare something, but we forgot that we had this apple somewhere else in our bags. Um, is there, you know, there's a, there's a unintentional, my bad kind of like, I forgot that this was here. Um, is there, you know, do you still get that penalty or is there any way of like, uh, Hey, this is, it's okay. It's your first time or whatever, or it's just straight on. Sorry. You're going to have to pay. Yeah, so declaration is, like I said, important, right? Because it allows us to do our job. We can't really take the time to search every inch of everything, you know? Um, and it is your responsibility as a traveling person to coming in to make sure that you know the items you have, you know? Um, so for the fines, it's a little bit, it's, it's kind of a little bit of a, a slippery kind of question because if you don't declare, then you are penalized. You know, we understand that people make mistakes. We understand that you guys are busy on those flights, that people are asking you for everything under the moon, <laughs> you know, or even the fact that a lot of flight crew, especially international, have short jumps. Um, I know when I was in Toronto, I used to see crew members four and five times a day, you know, making that jump from Toronto to another place, you know, and since it was such a short flight, they were just turning around. Um but what I do advise is that, you know, you take account of the things that you have. 
You know, don't toss things in bags that you normally do. One thing that I do notice when crew members come through is a lot of them spend the time and have those nice, fancy lunch boxes, you know. So I would advise that you make sure that you keep everything in one location so that, you know, you don't have that stray apple that you didn't know about when you get there and don't declare. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Be better to have everything grouped all together and it just makes it li everybody's life's easier. Um, so it, now talking about the items that we, you know, would, would declare and, and I get a lot of questions from crew members is, you know, what is prohibited or what is allowed in? I normally guide them to the CBP website and go to that, you know, that tab of the agriculture department to see what is and not allowed in. But is, is there anything that is like, yeah, this is a definitely go and this is a definitely no go. Yeah. So um, the CBP website is a great place to look under the trust of traveler information. It gives you a general idea um, of the things that are regulated. So it gives you an idea of what needs to be declared. Um, one tip that I will give, it's always better to over declare than to under declare. Um, and also maybe even just keep a little notes or a record of what you're bringing so you can present that to the agriculture specialist. Um, when it comes to the items, I will say this at the moment, there is no pork products allowed into the United States um, on a passenger or a flight crew level. And that is because of um, African swine fever that we're trying to keep out of the U.S. at the moment. Um, the other items in regards of what you can and cannot bring are subjective to where you're coming from or where the item's origin is and the port of entry that you're going into and sometimes the season in which um, you are coming into the United States. So that's why it's best to just declare the items and allow us as the agriculture specialists to do our job and make that call. Also, you know, you may go in and be like, okay, well, yesterday this item was allowed. The agriculture specialist had no problems with it, but now why is it two days later that I can't bring it? You know, you have to understand that the rules for agriculture change since they're based on pests and disease status around the world. Yeah, wow. I am I am uh, having a huge learning curve right now. I didn't know that it was based on so many factors. I mean, even the season, the time of the time of the year, it affects if if that food item is going to be allowed in or not. Correct? Yes. Wow. So, a quick question on the pork. The pork uh, that is not a, that's not allowed in is that just like if it's like raw or if it's cooked, no matter what, it's just pork. Right now, we're looking at no. We're looking at a situation where they're not really allowing pork to come in um, in multiple forms. The best thing to do is to consult if you have a port that you travel through a lot. Is to consult um, the agriculture specialist, and they can give you more updated information. Because, like I said earlier, those decisions and those regulations can change on us, you know, at any moment. But like I said, with African swine fever, we have to be very diligent, you know. The introduction of these pests and diseases into our agriculture community can cause irreparable damages. You know, just the, the mitigation factor to eradicate the entrance of these diseases or pests, you know, can cost the government a ton of money, a ton of time to personnel to be able to do it. It also can cause, you know, an increase in prices, and even worse, you know, the, a certain insecurity of not being able to have that item. You know, like I tell everybody, do you want to pay $150 for your apple? <laughs> we got to protect it. Yeah. We got to protect it. Yeah. No, for sure. It, and more importantly, so just people's health in general, you know, you don't want something to start spreading. It, do you have any, uh, 
maybe of like the last time that there was something that came through the border and it was able to spread. I don't know if I don't know if through research they're able to track it down that hey, it came through this this port or anything like that. But just to give an example to our listeners and viewers of what are the serious what's the seriousness of like hey, if this does cross the United States, how is it going to impact people's health? Well, we're not looking at too much of, you know, things coming in depth that affect people's health in regards to um you know, transmitting of diseases and things like that. We're looking at what's affecting the agriculture. So the way that it indirectly affects people's health is that if you don't have, you know, the access to those fresh fruits, vegetables, or the proper nutrients for your diet, you know, that could cause a problem. Um, in regards to what lately has come across, um, I can't really tell you that. That's actually handled, you know, usually researched by the USDA. Like you talked about your sister being the epidemiologist. You know, that's part of their job so that they could track down where it came from and help plan of action to help um, mitigate the situation. Gotcha. So to recap, it all depends on where you're coming from, what port you're entering, what time of the year. And if you want to know more specific information, you want to speak to the agricultural specialist of that port of entry, correct? Absolutely. Some of the ports um, do have what we call tear sheets, and they're just little informational sheets that say, hey, these are the items that, you know, are great to come in at this time or the regulations. And they'll always give you, like I said, that caveat that things change, right? you know, and they can change without warning. You know, sometimes, like I said, you come in on Monday and this is the regulation. And then I come back Tuesday morning and it's a whole new regulation, you know, to learn. Um, but yeah, so you can go into those, you can talk to them, you know, the agriculture specialists at the ports are great. And they all have dedicated their time and their service to protecting American agriculture. And we understand that education is the number one way to do so. So they have no problems with answering your questions and providing you um, with information. You know, we, we're not here to get anyone. You know, we're not the, the boogeyman saying, ha-ha, we want to take your lunch away. You know, but we want you to be educated so that you know, one, why we're doing it, and two, how you can help to prevent yeah. And I'm sure at the level that they're at, you know, it's it's a it's a certain passion that you guys have for what you do. So they're they're more than happy to be able to share that with you so that they can pass on what they're so passionate about for other people to be educated on. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, that's that's really great. So, you know, all these questions that I that I ask in terms of you, you know, I didn't know that it was even from a couple of days that things can change, but we try to uh, do it from a planning perspective, right? Like, you, you know, I get called for a four day trip and it's all international and I like to take all my meal, you know, because it's just healthier for me and for my fitness. And we just try to plan of like, okay, well, if I know that these things are going to be allowed back in, this is what I'm going to pack on my meal prep. But I guess if things change so quickly, sometimes like that, and I don't want to I don't want to I don't want people to think that like, oh, because things are going to change, I'm not going to take my food because at the end of the day, you just declare. And, and, and if you are able to get through with it, cool. And if you can't, then it's OK. Like at least you tried, you know, so uh, it's it, for, for crews more especially uh, the message is still kind of do what you do. But just remember to always, always declare and always just to have a heads up, visit that uh, CBP website. And also you can talk to your, your agricultural specialist at your port of entry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I said, we, we know people have diet restrictions. We know, you know, people want to be healthy and things of that nature. 
Um, but yeah, we have to be open to understanding that sometimes those things won't be allowed in. Yeah. So with we are we've been mentioning a lot of the declaring. What is the process, and when is it your responsibility to say, "Hey, I have these items." So it's always going to be the traveling person's responsibility to declare the items. You know, obviously, you know, especially if you're meal prepping, you didn't call me and say, "Hey, can you come over and and look and see what I have?" So when I come to the port, you know, you know exactly what I have. I'll Facetime you, know? you real quick. Also, Check out what I'm. <laughs> yeah. Also, you know, mind reading. I'm yeah. not that great at it, and most <laughs> agriculture specialists aren't. So you know, we have to rely on you to be honest and tell us what you have. In, the, in regards to declaring, basically it begins, you get off the plane, and when you get to that first CBP officer, um, of letting them know that you have food items, possibly what you have, so that they can refer you to the agriculture specialist to inspect the items. Um, also, like I said, some ports of entry do still accept the paper forms. Um, if you are a fan of writing it out on the customs declaration, you know, that's always an option. And if you request one, they'll always give you one. Um, after that, you know, after you finish with the officers and your journey through, um, you know, since we're talking aviation through the airport, um, you will also come in contact with other CBP people. You know, something triggers and you're like, oh, I forgot about that apple. I didn't tell the officer. You know, you speak to CBP personnel and say, hey, I think I have this. Or, you know, you also get that opportunity when the little dog comes around and sniffs your bag and says, hmm, I think you have something. Um, after that, once you are referred to the agriculture specialist, you know, they will again ask you the questions in regards to the items that you have. And you will tell them. Um, one recommendation that I do have, as I said earlier, is it's always great to write a list of what you have because we do forget. Um, and that's also helpful to the agriculture specialist. If you give me a list and I say, okay, you have A, B, C, X, Y, and Z, you know, and that makes the process a little bit easier. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, anything that could, that can make the process faster because sometimes crew, they're just like, I just want to get through customs and then just go. I got to catch a, another flight to commute home or I got to catch the bus to get to the employee lot. So anything that makes things go faster is definitely helpful. But, and I just want, I just kind of want to summarize everything that you just said. It's basically, you have multiple opportunities to declare your food, but in, and just be wary that if you don't and a dog decides to sniff your bag and you do, be ready for some consequences of some financial penalties. Yes, there's always that possibility. Right, right. So, so you know, you're risking, if you're trying to get through and you don't declare it or you forget, it is a, it is a risk that you're going to, you might get caught with with that stuff absolutely yeah so it's so it's always just better to 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 say what it is and i like that you mentioned that if you forgot about you know the apple that you had in your other bag and you already passed the first uh, uh cbp officer there's more along the way by the time you exit the airport right so you might be like oh shoot i forgot you might be able to tell somebody else and there's no there's no harm in that you know no Right. No, absolutely at all. Good, good. I just want I just want all the listeners and viewers to, to, to feel comfortable with that stuff because it's it's really important. A lot of the times without without that knowledge, you might be so scared to be like, Oh shoot, I have the apple still, I don't want to say anything to anybody. But then here comes a dog, sniffs it, oh there goes five hundred dollars. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. Well, that's uh, that's really informative stuff and and it's really important for us to know so we can make the best decisions. Um, so there are, I know you, it's, it's very dependent on a lot of factors, but is there 
anything special for supplementation. Now, some people take supplementation because their doctor was recommended to them and they have to take this in a pill or powder form, or some people may do it because of their fitness journey, some protein powder. Is any of that uh, restricted or does that even fall in the agricultural side? Well, some of the supplements and things of that nature don't fall into the agriculture side, um, especially if they are commercially processed. You know, some people, times when you say supplements, you think of herbs, teas, things of that. That can kind of fall on that gray line of agriculture. Um, the one thing that I recommend is that if you are traveling with some type of protein powder, supplements, vitamins, anything of that nature, to try to keep it in its original container so that we know where, what it is. Um, and then usually those items, if we have questions on their interability, are given to our customs officers to, to look into a little bit more. So we're basically dealing with, like I said, the fruits, the vegetables, the flowers, plants, seeds, and that nature. Okay, but still, still say something that you have it when you go to declare? Yeah, you know, it's always better to over-declare. You know, when in doubt, tell us about it, you know. Um, just because of the fact that, you know, you're, you as the traveling passenger, as the flight crew, are not um, supposed to know all the rules, you know. That's our job. So if you tell us, then we can better assist you with that. Right, right. Now, now that we, uh, we're talking about how quick we want to get through these lines and stuff like that, Global entry, right? It's, this is a, more of the newer way to to go through customs, and it's very fast. So, when is it that you know you, you meet an officer at the end of your whole process of you know you get screened by this you know camera thing, and then you proceed to the GE officer? There is your responsibility to say it, right? They'll ask yeah. also, but there is where, and it's the same process. Once they once you're like, hey, I got my food, blah blah blah, they'll they'll take you over to the agricultural room? Absolutely. It's the same exact process. And I mean, it doesn't take, the inspection time, once, especially once you get to the agriculture um, personnel, doesn't take long. And, you know, especially for aviation crew, because you usually don't come with that much stuff, you know. A lot of times it's three or four pieces, you know, a roller bag. Um, you know, you'll see a lot of pilots that have the bags with their manuals, you know, and lunch boxes. Now, if you come in there with 50, 11 million things, be prepared. Yeah, you know yeah, that it's gonna take a while. It's gonna but be a it's minute. Just yeah. a couple minutes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cool. 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 All right. So I want to ask some specific questions. Hopefully, you'll have or there will be answers to these. But totally understand if if there aren't because things are always changing. But some of the questions from some crew members are: uh, Can we bring vacuum sealed meals from U.S. brands back? into the U.S. and mostly, you know, these are from meal prepping companies that provide these services. So like I said before, there's different regulations and they are always flexible and moving. Um, with the prepackaged, vacuum-packed meals, um, just remember that just because they're prepackaged or vacuum-packed, that might not always mean that they're acceptable. The best thing, like I said earlier, is that they are in their um, original packaging which gives us all the information, the ingredients, what it is, where it's from, things of that nature, so that we can, you know, look into that and make that educated decision. You know, when we, when we don't have any of that information, that's when we have to take the most restrictive action. Okay, copy. So then the next question is, if there are fruits and vegetables where you take out the seed, is it still considered 
you know, in the same protocol because they don't have the seed, they may not be considered fruit now. It's it's more for it's more of a clarification question, I would say. Yeah. So so even if you take out the seed, it's still a fruit. Right. You know, right. if you have an avocado and you take out the seed of the avocado, it's still an avocado. Yeah. Um, and so also, you know, with a lot of the fruits and things of that nature, you know, pests can live on the skins inside, you know, and not just the seed, but it's going to be specific to the item, you know, it's of what it is and if it's going to be allowed. Like I said, there's a lot of mitigating factors to, to what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And to speak with your local, um, agriculture specialists, you know, that's great. And I, I do recommend, you know, I know a lot of flight crews usually have like a head person at um, certain ports. Um, and it's always great if they reach out too, and maybe even have their agriculture specialists come and speak to one of their, you know, aviation crew meetings or things like that. And so to better benefit them and give them more information of what's going on in that local area. Yeah. Yeah. Even in our manuals, we have a little section on the international part that says, hey, you have to declare, you have to do all these things. So... But it, but it would be nicer to have somebody kind of like, hey, there's a monthly. These are the changes that's happened in the in the most recent time. So that, I think that's a, that's a great idea. Now the next question is uh, packaged, prepackaged things. So maybe not from meal prepping companies that it's an actual meal, but like protein bars, you know, nuts, seeds, uh, almonds that are all in packaged in there from the USA. That that has more of a chance to be able to be like, okay, yeah, this is good. Yeah, a lot of those things are going to most likely be able to come in when you talk about meal replacement bars. As long as there's, you know, no, no, you don't have any pork flavored meal replacement bars, you know. <laughs> um, you know, prepackaged things, jerkies and things like that, as long as they have the information that we can look at and see where it comes from, then there's a higher probability that they may be able to, you know, let in, depending on what the regulation is or where you're at. Um, seeds and nuts kind of fall into that same realm if they are like roasted. Um, you have a higher probability that they're going to be okay. Um, you know, as long as you're not bringing seeds back for planting or anything of that nature, um, then you should be fine with that. So prepackaged items, like I said, are great. And the best thing about them is they are prepackaged and they are labeled with the information and we see that they're, you know, commercially sealed so we know that there's no cross-contamination potential right and just to 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 clarify when you mentioned label uh for people to understand that a label is something that brings out like you know it has nutritional facts it has ingredients it's different than a label that's on a banana that just says made in xyz right that's I just, so, so that people will be like hey no this i have a label on this shouldn't it go through Right. There's a huge difference between what kind of labels we're talking about. Well, there is a difference, but those labels on the fruits and vegetables like you see on the bananas and stuff like that, they actually give us some information also. I mean, if you ever look at your label on your bananas um, closely, you'll see that a lot of times they'll have the country of origin, the growing right. from. Right. Um, and that gives us a little bit of a guideline of, OK, well, it's coming from this place, which is acceptable you know, or this place that is not acceptable. So if you do have that, leave it on there. Same with the right, apples, avocados, right. things. They all, a lot of them have those labels. Just double check, see if they have those countries of origin. If they do, leave it on there. That's really good. That may, that just will increase the chances of it might go through. Absolutely. Interesting. Wow. That's awesome. Because I've been restricting from taking 
avocados and bananas, which I two of my favorite snacks to eat while I'm flying. And um, that's awesome. So I may not have to take uh, not take them anymore and just try it out, obviously, by, by declaring when I get back. There's there's a big uh, crew or, or, or something that crews really love to do, and that's overnight oats, right? Um, it's very simple, but it's the things that we put in these overnight oats. So with, with fruits and stuff like that, you mentioned to be able to have their original sticker on it. But it's different now when you cut up that fruit and you put it in your overnight oats because there's now nothing for the uh, agricultural officer to know where that came from. So it's just better, I guess in my my question to you, is just, just better to have everything separate. Don't try to put it all in an overnight container with all these different things shoved in there because you're not going to have any information on where that came from. So most likely it'll be taken away. Well, it's, there's always the probability that it will or won't. Like I said, it depends on, you know, different factors. Um, if you can, you know, make the overnight oats and then have the fruit separate in the original containers, that's always going to be helpful. Like I said, the more information you provide us. Also, um, I would say don't be afraid to bring these items up you know, with you, like say, okay, well, you're flying today from uh, Miami to Brazil, you know, and you want to have your banana or your blueberries or things of that nature, you know, just make sure that you've consumed those items, you know, earlier on in your travels so that they're, you know, no longer with you. And then you don't have to worry about it. Right. Like I said, and if you do, and you don't finish them, then just make sure you declare and let us know. Because who knows? It may be okay to come in, you know? Yeah. Just- yeah. As long as you declare it. And so as you, know, we mentioned a lot of the labels and stuff like that, and this is more, I just want to let this, this person's question come on, on the air too, but they ask package salami. You know, sometimes when we have these overnights where we come from, or when these pilots and cabin crew come back from Italy, uh, Spain, and all these, they like to bring that some salami back in. Uh, again, it all depends, right? packaged no it depends on yes it depends on the kind of meat or the animal that it's made out of oh okay i see okay so i can tell you right now that if it is salami and it's pork then most leave it or or buy it purchase it consume it on the flight on the way over and then don't bring it in if you do you know let the agriculture specialist know that you know if you couldn't finish it or you didn't get to it so that they can make the proper regulatory decision even if it's packaged okay got it even if it's packaged just because it's packaged that doesn't mean that you've already eliminated the risk of disease and pests you know and then speaking in regards to the canine world a lot of people come up to us and be like wait a minute your dog can't smell it because it's vacuum sealed or you can't smell it because I wrapped it in 12 feet of aluminum foil. These dogs are highly trained, highly sensitive, and they can smell these things from across the room. So, so don't take the chance. Don't take the risk. Wow, this is all super, super informative. Um, so is there any, any extra suggestions from your perspective? You know, you're on the other side of looking in of, of what usually comes in, and you've seen so many crews get denied or go through. Any, any other additional tips that you may be able to give us to make this process uh, just more understandable? Yeah, absolutely. You know, my number one tips is declare, 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 declare. Like I said, it's always better to over-declare than to under-declare. Also, um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, when you are packaging or preparing your meals, things like that, it's always great to make a list of what you have and you can just kind of 
shove that list in your lunchbox so that when you do get to the port of entry, you know, you can say, hey, this is what I have. You know, you may have consumed or gotten rid of some of the items in the process, but yet again, over-declaring is better than under-declaring. Um, and then to be patient, you know, be patient and be mindful that we're not out here to get you. We're just trying to protect American agriculture, you know, and we have to all work together to accomplish that mission. So, and then also, like I said earlier too, talk to your agriculture specialists. And when you get to those ports of interest, you know, there are a great amount of information and education on what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Oh yeah. And don't bring 50, 11 million bags for us to inspect to be done in five <laughs> seconds. Yeah, we shouldn't try to make your work harder. <laughs> oh, I forgot a couple other tips and advice that I did want to say. Um, usually when you're traveling on the flights, the flights are catered, have catered meals. I just want to remind the flight crew not to take those catered meals off the plane. You know, you don't know what's in them and they're usually outsourced from other countries. So it's best to either consume if you are going to consume it on the plane or not to bring it in at all. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to share was that, you know, a lot of times passengers think that we're taking their items for our own personal usage. You know, we'll take them and they'll be like, hey, I hope you enjoy my food for your lunch or dinner. Um, understand that we, we don't want to eat your food, especially when you've been flying on a six-hour flight. Um, those items are actually taken and disposed of during certain using certain methods that are approved by the USDA. So know that at the end of the day, it all goes you know, and take, it goes away. It's not going to be on our lunch counter. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Awesome. Well, Hey, thank you so much, Sharon. It has been a true pleasure and it's outstanding information that I think is going to help so many crew members and also just travelers who may listen and watch this on, on YouTube as well. Uh, Thank you. Thank you again for taking the time and, and, and educating all of us in, in all these processes for the agricultural department. Yes, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to come and share. You know, like I said, I've been into this field a long time. I've seen a lot. And, you know, um, we have to work together. Our, our, our goal is to keep American agriculture safe. And you being able to provide this platform to give this information to your colleagues is going to be a very helpful tool for all of us. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Um, have a great rest of your day and enjoy the weekend. Thank you. You too. All right. Thanks. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I had a great time learning from Sharon today. I did not know that the port of entry really mattered on what food are more or less likely to be allowed in. So that was uh, really, really cool. And also, I will leave links in the description so you have the resources that we mentioned so that you can be more informed on this subject. If you like the podcast, please leave a rating on Apple, Spotify, Amazon. And also, if you're on YouTube, like and subscribe so you don't miss out on any of these awesome videos. So thank you so much. Play safe and stay healthy, my friends. Switch.